Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for providing a hiding place for me, for, for us, for the tribe, for a believer. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. Father, we give you praise. Thank for the provision of security, safety, protection, guidance, prosperity, counsel, might in your presence. Lord, we're grateful. Lord, as we get into your word again this Sunday morning, we ask that everyone under the sound of my voice is blessed, edified, strengthened, encouraged through the teaching of the word of God with simplicity and clarity and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father, we give you praise and we give you glory for in Jesus' precious name we prayed. Can we jam our hands together for Jesus? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Have your seats in God's presence. Welcome your neighbor to church. Give an honest compliment. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. We have some way to go this morning. <laughs> I rejoice at your word like one who's found great spoil great spoil father we give you praise all right as a way of summary i'll just try to do a quick recap of the last three weeks the teachings we've been having in the house the theme is the shield and the shield has three sides power love and sound mind and the shield is to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy which predominantly manifests as fear all right all the fiery darts of the enemy so the first installment, we talked about how that both truth and lies are systems of interpretation and how the reality is neither truth nor lie, but it requires your interpretation to produce what you need to feel per time. For example, for you to have faith in your heart, you need to interpret reality through the lens of truth. For fear to be produced, you also need to interpret reality through the lens of the lies of the devil and how that lies or rather fear is... Uh, an overwhelming external force that influences a man to act in opposition to the will of God and how it's created by an exaggeration, manipulation, and distortion of reality. So we emphasized that on the very first installment. The second installment, we talked about casting your cares, how that it's important that we um, cast our cares on the Lord Jesus. We used Peter as a good example <laughs> in the sense that one moment he was inspired by the Holy Ghost the next moment he was used by the devil all right he was I mean the devil never came to him had a meeting with him and sent him on an assignment but you see once he got into fear and anxieties and cares and worries about what he would eat how would he survive you know when he thought about the possibility of losing Jesus he couldn't reconcile it in his mind he couldn't imagine a life without jesus because jesus represented his provision represented his security represented his guidance represented his reputation pretty much jesus was everything to him so he couldn't imagine life without jesus so he rebuked jesus because he was anxious he was fearful all right he got into unnecessary concerns he couldn't cast his cares and every once in a while that we get into overwhelmingly anxious states that is the devil literally using our bodies to present or should i say to execute his own agenda upon the face of the earth and so the devil or other all right um or, or peter in one moment of revelation switched to being used by the devil 
all right, in split seconds, literally. And then Jesus rebuked him because Bible said, Jesus speaking to him said, get thee behind me, Satan, because thou savourest not the things that be of God. Because the devil was literally using Peter against the will of God. Praise God. And how that sometimes we need to be very careful. The people, you know, who care a lot about us, what they say to us. Sometimes when God tells us to do something and we share these dreams and these visions with those who care a lot about us in the flesh. Sometimes the devil can use their vocal cords to discourage you. To make you feel like maybe this is not the right thing to do. And all the things that we're presenting to you is how will you survive? How will you, how will you survive? Like how will you do it? How can you resign a job? Well, God said I should do so. But how will you survive? What are you going to eat? How will you, you know, take care of yourself and your family? And, uh, you know, if you, over, if you overwhelm yourself with those thoughts, you will cripple yourself as far as doing the will of God is concerned. All right. So we talked about that very, uh, very extensively in the second installment. And I, th I think we wrapped up with uh, an experience or should I say, uh, an illustration of how to cast your cares. How that casting your cares is not simply placing it. It's not necessarily dropping it. It's casting it. Almost as though you have no care for your cares. Almost as though you do not care what happens to your cares because you're casting it. Let the one who can bear them, let him bear them. It's not your job to bear your own burdens on yourself. Cast your cares upon me for I care for you. He says, let them that are, you know, uh, laboring and are heavy laden, let them come to him. He says, they will find a rest to their souls. For his own yoke is easy and his burden is light. And his own yoke is the yoke of what? Do you remember? Remember vote, the teaching we did. Um, I think that was during Jonah's diaries. Where we talked about the yoke of learning. Everyone is bearing a certain yoke at some point. All right? You can't be yokeless. You're either bearing the yoke of bondage or you're bearing the yoke of learning. Praise God. So Jesus takes the yoke from you, the yoke of your cares, your anxieties, your worries, your concerns, and then he gives you rest. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then last week we talked about, um, what did we talk about last week? Uh, the spoiler alert, how that the devil has been spoiled. I remember we referenced this in the second installment, how that when we see the devil, we'll be very unimpressed by his stature, by his nature, by his posture, by everything about him. Because the Bible says we will narrowly look upon him, almost as though we are walking past, we missed him. And then someone will tell us, if you just passed the devil, and then you have to squint to even catch a picture of him. Because he's so little in the, in the scheme of things. But how has he been able to you know, affect so many lives? It's because of this same manipulation, exaggeration, and distortion that he does it's wiles we defined wiles and all of that so last week we talked about how jesus spoiled the devil of his power of death and how that we must be very strong in our identity in christ jesus else the devil will take advantage of us amen all right and then today by god's grace we'll go a step farther I would encourage you to listen to these teachings as a whole. Sometimes, you know, maybe on a Saturday, listen to all the series. It does something to you. Just listen to all the installments, one, two, three. You're building faith. You're building faith. Amen. You're building faith in your heart. Very important. So let's pray in the Holy Ghost for the next few minutes. Let's just pray in the Holy Ghost. Let's open our hearts. Let's open our hearts to receive what the Lord would have us receive this morning. Let's open our hearts to receive. Let's open our hearts to receive. Etopalo disease of a tie. Embretijo patango. Palandi lo prastefido bostacada. The word of God is going to come forth with power and with grace and with truth. This morning, anything that is hindering my heart to receive, Lord, I take it away. 
in the name of Jesus. Lord, take anything, any distraction, any care, any anxiety, any worry. Lord, help me to cast my cares. Lord, help me not to think about that which I need right now. Help me to focus on your word. Help me to just focus on your word like Mary focused on your word, sitting at your feet, receiving the word. Rather than going about with many cares and worries and anxieties, how will this thing happen? How will my visa be approved? How will they, you know, bring back the, the date for the interview? How will I get a job? How will I pay my rent? How, when will Asu return and resume? How, 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 how shall these things be? Can you just focus on the word this season, this moment right now? Exalt the word above your cares. Exalt the word above your cares. It says God has exalted his word above all his name, above all his reputation. Exalt the word of God above your reputation, above your cares, your welfare, your convenience. Exalt the word of God. Focus on the word right now. And anything that will not allow you to focus on God's word, remove it from your heart and ask the Holy Ghost to take it out in the name of Jesus because you're about to receive God's word. For in Jesus' precious name, we have prayed this morning. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. I would like to celebrate um, <laughs> Ellie. You know, she, we had, <laughs> it's we now. I mean, <laughs> we had a very fantastic session at the Pillars Park yesterday. It was such an amazing session. Can we celebrate the gift of Ellie once again? God bless your heart for being such a huge blessing. Uh, and we had such a deluge of the word on Thursday, Pastor Mike. It was such an apostolic charge. God bless your heart. And we also use the opportunity to celebrate things all the way at Kenya. We love you. We miss you. We can't wait to have you back. God bless your heart. I would like to celebrate the, the instrumentalists. Can you help me celebrate them? I was especially feeling the bass this morning. I was just feeling the bass. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. And happy birthday in areas once again. Great. God bless your heart. Amen. Are we ready for God's word this morning? Okay, so uh, the Lord gave my wife and I a confession, all right, over the week. And I just felt someone might just use this confession for themselves. All right, it's about your body. Amen. It's about your body and um, the, the sustenance of your body by the power of God. Just a very short confession. Can you say with me, say, my body is prepared for the will of God. Say it again. Say, my body is prepared for the will of God. Say, my body is wired for the will of God. Say, my body is sustained by the will of God. Say those three lines again. Say, my body is prepared for the will of God. My body is wired for the will of God. My body is sustained by the will of God. Now say this. Say, my body will not be hijacked by any sickness, disease, or disability. Say it with confidence. Say, my body will not be hijacked by any sickness, disease, or disability. Say it with me. Say, my body is deployed only for the execution of the will of God. And lastly, say, I have a quickened body. Say, have a quickened body. Amen. So we'll say it all over again. My body is prepared for the will of God. My body is wired for the will of God. My body is sustained by the will of God. My body will not be hijacked by any sickness, disease, or disability. My body is deployed only for the execution of the will of God. I have a quickened body. Can you rejoice in the house this morning? I have a quickened body. I have a quickened body. Praise the Lord. While I'm on assignment for the Lord, 
no devil can touch my body. <laughs> my own is to just ensure that I'm on assignment. As long as I'm on assignment, the devil can't touch my body. All right, my body's prepared for the will of God. So rather than obsess yourself with keeping your body healthy, obsess with knowing the will of God. Obsess with knowing the will of God. Be not unwise. Any venture to know other things apart from the will of God is foolishness. No matter how smart that thing is in this realm. He says, be not unwise. Every time you are pursuing after other things that does not amount to following the will of God, you've just been unwise. Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. There is God's will for your life. And once you begin to apply your body for that will, your body is sustained. Your body is sustained by the will of God. It's prepared for the will of God. It's wired for the will of God. Your body ought only to be deployed in the execution of the will of God upon the face of the earth. And in doing that, you get your body quickened by the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> amen. Now, let's, let's, let's begin to consider some thoughts, right? How come it does appear that in spite of the fact that Jesus has won the victory, the fact that Jesus has wrestled hell and he has taken and spoiled them and he has taken from them the power of death, all right, and he put it in his pocket, he's the Anikulakbo, do, do, do you remember that? All right, he has the power of hell and death in his pocket. Praise God. Now, how come the devil still finds a way to afflict people and afflict believers? How is it possible that a powerless devil is still so powerful? A, a, a devil that has been spoiled, how is he still able to afflict souls and destroy lives and steal and kill and destroy through the wiles of the devil, through the fears and the manipulative tendencies that he just pushes out every single day? How? That's what we're going to be examining this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Before we get into that, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 says, he says, lest the enemy, lest the devil take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You see, the devil has a device. <laughs> it's not Apple. It's not Samsung. They are wise. All right. Bible says, we are not ignorant of his devices. Your ignorance is the devil's advantage. Did you see that? It says, lest the devil take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. That means my knowledge of God's word and my knowledge of the identity that I have in Christ Jesus is the devil's disadvantage. The less I know about my identity in Christ, the more advantage the devil is covering in my life. God forbid. And the more I know in God's word, the less opportunity the devil has to, to plunder me. The less the opportunity he has. He says he takes advantage because you are ignorant. He takes advantage because you are ignorant. Because you are ignorant. Let the devil take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. So the more ignorant you are about the word of God. And about the things the Lord has prepared for you before the foundation of the world. The more the devil has advantage. He has competitive advantage. He can plunder you. Because you do not know any better. He can create false expressions appearing real. In fear. And then you don't know any better and you believe him. And then you begin to get into fear. It is your ignorance that the devil is exploiting. It's your ignorance. 
So you've got to know because all the arsenal in your, at your disposal against the devil is knowledge-based, knowledge-driven. Every one of them. If you don't know any better, there is every chance the devil will still kill and destroy your life. But say, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. That's not me. That's not my portion. That's not my portion. So the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, from verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare, it says, they are not carnal. That means the weapons of our warfare are not things you can see, taste, smell, and feel. And the problem of the warfare are not things that are also carnal. The targets of our weapons are not carnal. If the targets were carnal, then the weapons should be carnal. If I want to kill a man, I need a gun. But if I want to kill a spirit, I, can't, I don't need a gun. A gun will do nothing to a spirit. The weapons suggest the targets. So if the weapons are not carnal, the targets are not carnal. So there's something wrong with hoping and praying that someone, a carnal person dies. Just so that your own problems will be solved. It never solves the problem. The spirit doesn't leave that vessel and look for another available vessel and continues to perpetuate the evil that it was perpetuating in the person that just died. So you didn't eliminate the problem. You only transferred it. Did you hear that? And so the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, which is suggestive of the nature of our enemy. The nature of the target of these weapons. They're not carnal. He says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds the pulling down of strongholds and it says these weapons as empowered by the holy ghost they pull down strongholds and what are these strongholds <laughs> casting down imaginations casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of god and bringing into captivity every thought Every thought to the obedience of Christ. You need to pay attention to this. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts themselves against knowledge of God. You see, he didn't say above the knowledge of God because there's nothing above the knowledge of God. He says against. That is whatever God's word is saying. You see, those things tell you to do against. Opposite. There is nothing above the knowledge of God. Because you'd expect that he says exalted above. But there's nothing. <laughs> there is nothing above the knowledge of God. So the best it can do is to oppose the will of God. It exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And he says bringing into captivity every thought. Who would have thought that the magnitude of our warfare is thoughts and imaginations? Who would have thought that if, if you want to tell me to fight, give me solid things that would, you know, look very intimidating and that I know I'm in a real battle. What are you talking about? Imagination, thoughts. What was that? But those are strongholds. Those are real strong strongholds. What are strongholds? Strongholds are things that hold very strongly. Very strongly. And if the devil, principalities, powers... Rulers of darkness in this world can begin to plant their thoughts in your heart. They don't need to do anything else. Those thoughts, once they are re-emphasized over time, re-emphasized over time, will begin to create a pattern. It is these patterns that when they begin to affect themselves and manifest themselves in your life, people would observe it and say, you are cursed. People would say, you need deliverance. 
But you see, someone can deliver you by the anointing and you will still not be exempt from those pathetic cycles. Because what is producing them is still holding sway in your life. Because they are stronger than just the manifestation of the anointing over your life in a moment. If your mind is not renewed to sustain the effect of the breakthrough, you can't. You can't be sustained. Let me have <laughs> uh, Director A.Y. and Brother Akbelumi. Let's celebrate them. Brother Akbelumi, bring your, bring your chair along. Bring your chair along. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Yes. Please sit. Please sit. Please help me tie him. Help me tie him. Tie him in a way you can't move. Tie his hands. Yes. Tie him. Tie him. Praise God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, I think you should tie it around here. Yes, good. Fantastic. Good job. All right. Patterns in life are not produced by a witch in the village. Patterns in life are not produced by a pronunciation from the devil. Patterns are reinforced by your thoughts. <laughs> and I'll show you in scripture. Patterns are reinforced by your thoughts and your imaginations that are exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. That's what produces negative patterns. It doesn't matter how many people lay hands on you. Those patterns will continue to reoccur if you do not work at your thoughts and your imaginations. If I lay my hands on him right now and this thing strips open and it's, it's broken, he will still be in this situation because what produced it were his thoughts and his imaginations. These things are thoughts and imaginations. They hold so tightly Try to move to Pastor Mike. Just try. Your legs should have also been tied. So imagine his legs were tied. He wants to move. Just try, like try. Just do your best. You see how pathetic he looks. The devil doesn't have to keep him bound. He just needs to tie his thoughts to his own agenda. If he ties his thoughts to his own thoughts, that is the devil's thought is introduced into Palumi's mind. And Palumi begins to emphasize those thoughts, begins to repeat those thoughts, begins to, you know, meditate on those thoughts. Whether it's through anxieties and worries and cares and through reminiscing on the evil and negative occurrences in his past, he will continue to tie himself around with a stronger hold than any anointing can break. That is, the anointing will come and momentarily it may look free. But next week it will come back in that same deliverance line. It will come back. Because the thing that really kept him bound has not been resolved. I will just see people who got healed one moment. The next week they are back with the same sickness. The thought patterns that produce that sickness has come back. 
It has recreated the same effect. So when teaching is going on, something far more powerful than you falling under the anointing is actually going on. When teaching is going on, what it's doing is that it is rearranging your thoughts and your imaginations to align with the will of God. Because anything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God is against your destiny. This is what exactly he wants to turn you into. Someone who will be held so strongly by strongholds. Strongholds. And you would imagine that these strongholds are some, you know, some witches in a cocoon or in a coven, you know, casting spells. No. These strongholds are thoughts and imaginations. How powerful can these things be? That thoughts and imaginations can hold a man so tightly. There was a woman in scripture. The woman by the well. This woman had had five husbands. Five. She was now with another man who was not yet her husband. We don't know whether she wanted to marry him eventually. But she had had five husbands. If you look at that kind of life, you say, ah, I shele you. That life, or the people of the life, <laughs> they are doing this one. How can you have five husbands? Five. There is a negative pattern in your life. I, I know a prophet. Bring your head. Just go and buy sponge, wooden sponge. Normal sponge will not do it. Wooden sponge and it will take you to the river and it will wash your head. When we wash your head, that pattern will die. <laughs> you see, the devil will just be laughing. Just be laughing. What has washing the head got to do with the strongholds of the mind? You, you are applying... You are applying a, a body ointment to a, a liver problem. Oh, you just be laughing. Okay, go ahead. Keep applying the ointment. The problem is internal. And as long as that problem stays internal, nothing will happen. It doesn't matter how many men of God lay hands on you. You see, you see why we are really the ones at the gatekeeping um, duty of our lives. Not anybody. We are really the ones at the gatekeeping duty of our lives. The things that we permit into our lives are the things that have the strongest power. Not the thing that somebody's casted on us. Now, Balaam could not curse the children of Israel. Don't you understand? Balaam, the anointed prophet of God, he looked at the children of Israel. He wanted to cast a spell on them. He looked at seven different vantage positions where he could see them at a glance and cast a curse on them. He tried all his best. He couldn't. The powers from the external are not, are not as powerful as the thoughts and imaginations of your heart. If a house is divided against itself, it can't stand. You want to prosper, but your thoughts are not of prosperity. How will you prosper? You are a house divided against itself. This is how it keeps people bound. He introduces thoughts and imaginations that are not in alignment with God's word. And it does not matter how hard they try, they just wouldn't move so far in life. And it's not because they are cursed. It's because they have refused to break the habit of wrong thinking patterns. These thoughts and imaginations are usually produced by experiences, exposures, and examples that we have seen in our past. Experiences, exposures, and examples that the devil will just take advantage of. Ask any woman who is not interested in marriage. She has a list of examples to show you. This one, that one, my auntie. They've seen people abuse other ladies. Ah, I can't, no, 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 no. And then the devil exalts those thoughts against the word of God that said, You are blessed. 
all right and you are fruitful and you will multiply and you will replenish the earth and you will find your mate and you'll find your husband the word of god to them you see those things now begin to exalt themselves against that knowledge the devil would exalt the power of their thoughts and their imaginations against themselves and so those exposures and experiences and examples, what do you do? You subject them to the will and the word of God because you see the word of God may not be present in your past. Ah. So it's difficult to conceptualize it because the things you have experienced feel more real to you. You see why reality is not always truth? Because if the fact that it has happened before does not make it truth. But you see those realities are forcing you to have to believe that these things are true. They are yeah and amen. But only God's word is yea and amen forever. So what you do is that you subject those experiences to the leadership of the word. So you interpret your experiences in the light of scripture. Nobody can do a man of God. Nobody can do a child of God. It doesn't matter the negative patterns you seem to have been seeing in your life. Interpret them by a superior substance of truth interpret them the devil is a liar he cannot say the truth but if you agree with his lies the realities will continue to self-perpetuate how do you explain five husbands five <laughs> It didn't stop there. What's the carry? Olule. What's the carry? Olule. Guess what? If she had not met Jesus, that is how she will keep divorcing till Jesus comes. And they will say, somebody's doing her. That's what they will say. That a curse needs to be broken. Right? It's a thought that needs to be aligned. It's an imagination that needs to be subjected. Strongholds, they hold so strong, nothing can break you free. You can't, funny thing is, you were held strong by your own permission because they are your thoughts, they are your imaginations. And you can't, be, you can't be broken free except by your own permission as well. So this is the of a man who does not know the damage and the negative implications and impact of his own thoughts and imaginations. He will keep wanting well, but the reality will just never align. Because of fear. The woman was changing husbands like clothes because she was afraid of being alone. Ah, let's go there. Let's go to that scripture. Let's, let's celebrate this young man. <laughs> Thank you. Let me God bless your heart. So these ropes are the strongholds. Any thought that is not in alignment with God's word, just imagine this rope as those thoughts. They are designed by hell to weave themselves around you and hold you so strong. And the Bible tells me in Mark chapter 3 verse 27 that you cannot go to a strong man's house and spoil the strong man of his goods except you keep the strong man in bondage himself. Except you, you bind the strong man. <laughs> you see, these thoughts must be bound. Kai. These thoughts are the stronghold. And so, before you can release Balumi from this chair, you've got to bind the binder. Praise God. You've got to bind the binder. The binder is thoughts and imaginations. And it's extremely difficult to bind. In fact, you can't bind it. You need the word of God to bind the strongholds. Hiya.
Mark 3. Mark 3, 27. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his, his house. No man can release this young man from the binding power of the strongholds that kept him bound without binding those strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into what? Captivity. You must hold those thoughts captive. Bringing into captivity every thought. What is he talking about? I said thoughts were some, you know, moral agents. He says these thoughts must be brought to captivity in obedience. <laughs> that is, if you let those thoughts and, and imaginations run their own course by themselves, doing their thing, you will live a life of bondage. He says for you to truly be free, you must bind the stronghold. The title of my teaching this morning is the stronger hold. The stronger hold. It takes a stronger hold to bind the strongholds. It takes a stronger hold to bind the strongholds. So the next time you feel that there is a negative pattern in your life, don't think of a prophet first. You are the number one prophet over your own life. Don't think of a prophet first. Look for knowledge because it is your ignorance the devil has used as an advantage to keep you in bondage. Because you are not supposed to be ignorant of the devil's devices. And as often as you are ignorant, the devil is having advantage. The moment you begin to advance in knowledge, he's losing his advantage. Why you must study the Bible, pray in the Holy Ghost, receive revelation, is to reduce the advantage of the devil over your life. Because whilst you are not doing all of those things, the devil is excited. He's going to the bank, cashing out over your life. Getting all the advantage. Getting all the advantage. Remember Tanimola? Oluriru was cashing out on a steady because Tanimola did not know who he was. Did not understand the power of his identity in Christ. So reading your Bible, meditating is not a religious activity. It's not because you have someone to report to and then they will mark your register. No! It is so that you can truly be free. Because if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And then the truth will make you free. Freedom is at the other end of continuing in the word. So that the word can realign your thoughts and your imagination. So that when you're beginning to think things that are not in alignment, you say, come down, come down. What are you thinking about? You bind it. You've got to take hold of your thoughts. Take hold of your imaginations. Take hold of it. John 4. The stronger hold. The stronger hold. <laughs> You see, the stronger hold is the word of God. That's a stronger hold. Nothing is more powerful than the word of God. It will bring all your imaginations and thoughts into subjection. <laughs> and it will begin to plant the thoughts and imaginations that are in alignment. <laughs> the children of Israel, God did not create the promised land for two people. He created it for three million Jews. But only two entered Something bound them. Something said, you will not go. This promised land, you will not see it. You will see it with your eyes. You will not taste it with your mouth. You will hear people talking about how awesome it is. You will never experience it. 
What were the things that the devil used to bind them in the dimensions of Egypt? Thoughts and imaginations. Rahab, fly away Rahab in Jericho. Heard about the things that God was doing in the lives of the Israelites. She believed in an instant. The people who experienced the miracle refused to believe. The people that lived inside it refused to obey the word of truth. From a distant land, she, really, she received understanding and believed. Such that when they came and they needed someone as an ally, she said, I will offer myself. I've heard about your God. Your God is powerful. I have never seen him. I've never seen a miracle that he did. But I only heard with the hearing of my ears and I believed him already. And some people were literally living in the miraculous. 42 miracles that Moses did in the wilderness. 42. Not sufficient to change a heart. Not, not sufficient. So miracles don't change people. Signs and wonders don't change people. Manna will not change the manner of man you are. Nothing can change a man's heart that has not been submitted to the word of God. It does not matter how many miracles you observe in your life, you can still be reprobate. 42 miracles. The, the miracles of deliverance. The miracles of sustenance. The miracles of healing for 40 years. Back-to-back miracles. They had gotten so casual with... The miraculous was nothing that they needed to even... Exp- it was just pure water. And in that supernatural cloud of glory, they still found a way to stay unbelieving. Because their thoughts were tied to Egypt. Their imaginations were tied to Egypt. Every time they thought it was cucumbers and onions, they, they remembered. Cucumbers and onions. Any small thing, they will just remember Egypt. So why have you brought us here? Oh, you brought us here to die. Hey, where are the cucumbers of Egypt? The cucumbers and the, and the onions of Egypt, they are better than this. They could not imagine a better future because of their experiences and exposures and the examples they had seen. You must live beyond the, the limitation of your experiences and your exposures and the examples you've seen in your past. That it happened to your father and your mother does not mean it must happen to you. Realign. Tweak your thinking. Tweak it. Realign your thoughts and your imaginations to align with God's word. It will escape you. That pattern will just escape. You just realize that it's not even happening to you. Because you just tweaked the seat of power. You tweaked it. But as many as kept thinking, ah, it happened to my fa- grandfather. It happened to my... That's exactly what the devil wants you to preoccupate yourself in. All right? You, you begin to preoccupy yourself, rather, in just thinking about, oh, it happened to my grandfather. It happened to my father. Remember the story that Kenneth Hagin gave? How that a man who just kept saying that, I know I will never live above the age of 40 because his grandfather lived... He died at the age of 40. His father died at the age of 40. And this guy just kept saying it. When this guy finally died and um, they called Kenneth Hagin to pray for him, God told him that he cannot do anything about it. Kenneth Hagin and God himself, they can't raise this man back from the dead. Is that because this man has set in motion a law that cannot be reversed? A law that cannot be reversed. He had said in his heart, he thought his imagined, he had exalted it so much against the knowledge of God. God said, with long life and prosperity, I will satisfy you. This guy said, no, I will die before the age of 40. And for 40 years, few weeks before 40, this guy died. He couldn't live beyond his imaginations and thoughts. He was at the burial that his brother was now saying it. That my brother always just said that he would not just live beyond the age of 40. 
And his father died, his grandfather died beyond the age of 40. That was what he preoccupied his entire mind around. What are you preoccupying your mind around? What is seated on the throne of your heart? The word of God or the examples of men? The experiences you've had? What, what exactly? If you go to a dark alley at night and you go to a mango tree without a torch and you pick three mangoes on the floor at random, you just pick three mangoes because this tree had plenty mangoes, plenty ripe mangoes. And you just pick three at random on the floor and you tasted the first one, it was bad. You tasted the second one, it was bad. You tasted the third, it was bad. You tasted the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. You tasted five different, ten different mangoes and they were all bad. You left that early and you were going back to your house and you saw another person come down the same path and you asked them, what are you going to? He said, I'm going to go and get some mangoes at that place, the mango tree. What are you likely going to tell that guy? You will tell the guy, you won't say, I tasted 10, 10 of them were bad. You will tell the guy that all, all the mangoes are bad. And if that guy believes you, he will turn back. And he will say, you know what? All mangoes are bad. All men are scum. <laughs> no, all of them. Oh, 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 all of them. All of them. All of them are scum. However, however, if I carry my torch, if there are 99 evil mangoes on that tree, and one is just good, just one, my torch will see it. It is light you need, light, revelation. Does not matter the experiences of 2,000, 2 billion people. You can be an exception if you will submit to the word of God. All men may be saying there is a casting down. You shall say, you are the law of exception. You, you are the law. Ha! You are the law of exception. You by yourself. Everybody, there's a casting down. No, there's no husband in town. There, you know, husband is expensive. So, so that's what everybody's experiences. And then all the celebrities and influencers on social media also, they're giving you their experiences how that marriage is not worth it. And then you begin to believe the lies of Jacob. Because that is the thing that happened to this woman. She, she surrounded herself with Jacobian historical relics. Jacobian wells, Jacobian thoughts, Jacobian ideologies. That's what you see on social media. Jacobian stuff. Experiences. See, everything she was referenced. Our father. In the time of our fathers. That's what kept her there. She couldn't move past history. Because revelation does not consult with history. It doesn't. Revelation is revelation. Waiting for somebody to latch on it and believe it. But here you keep saying, you see, I've never tasted anything unclean. Ah, God is like, come on. What is wrong with you? This is, I'm not, I'm not referencing history here. Can you step into your future? It is by revelation you step into your future. Because you have never experienced your future. Have you? So God will have to reveal it to you by revelation. And you've got to believe it in your heart. Trap it with understanding. John chapter 4. Because it's fear. It will just keep repeating. The next time that boy, you just see a guy that is coming close to you. You are looking at this one. It looks like someone that will beat me. Oh. His muscle, eh? Director, why is that? big. So, and you'll be casting projections of your past on someone that is innocent. John chapter 4. No, I will tell you, see, this is how it works. I'm telling you now. This is how it works. Jesus, I just finished ministering. All right. Verse 4, and he must need to go through Samaria. Ah, powerful. 
Verse 5, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his sons, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. How harmless, how innocuous, how, how lame. Give me to drink. I'm a thirsty man looking for water. You are a woman with, with fetcher. You have the resources required to get me this water. Give me to drink. Simple question. Then hear this woman's response. She said, Okay, well, for the disciples who had gone away to the city to buy meat. Then said this woman of Samaria, how is it that thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? Wow. Wow. These are the preconceived ideas, notions, and thought patterns produced by our history, experiences, and all our exposures in the past in one moment of just a very harmless question, all of those biases came out. They will project their insecurities on you. Give me a drink. That's all I asked for. Number one, you are so schooled in recognizing a Jew and how different they are from Samaritans. This guy has not said he's a Jew. This guy just said, give me a drink. Your insecurity will not allow you rest. You are like, mm -mm, there is a way Jews work. You have studied the Jews and their dominance over you. You have studied how Jews are so separate, superior, different, that you can't even conceive the possibility of a conversation with a Jew. You said, how, how, how is it? That is, you have been so schooled in understanding how low you are. That anybody that came within your vicinity must be scrutinized to see whether the person is low enough to interact with you. And you looked at a Jewish man and you said, how is it that you being a Jew will ask of me a Samaritan? Every interaction, you see what produced five husbands? How is it that you being a Jew will come and be asking me a Samaritan for water. What value do I have to, to help you? Are you not schooled in the laws of the Jews? Don't you know that your type don't talk to my type? How is it that you are a Jew and you want to condescend to my level? She saw every approach by a man as a privilege. So she always was desperate around men. Anyone she sees, she grabs. She, she just grabs. You don't know when the next one will come. She didn't believe that her worth and value was sufficient to attract a solid man. Anyone that showed up was good enough. That's what produced five husbands. And when they were done plundering her, they would leave. Then she would go back to the same situation. Too afraid to be alone. Because she had never been alone with Jesus. Never. Never been alone with the Lord. Never understood what God's will for her life was. Never understood the thought patterns of scripture. 
All she was relying on was Jacob, Jacob's sons, and all the history of her heritage. When it came to understanding what it meant to be a Samaritan, she was well vast. Ah, she knew exactly what it meant to be a Samaritan. Because a Samaritan was neither a Jew nor a Gentile. A Samaritan is defined by what you cannot define. So when you see something you can't define, that's a Samaritan. It's neither Jew, it's not Gentile. It's just meaninglessness, looking for expression. Just nothing. Samaritan. So there was, there was a permanent identification with meaninglessness. She was so well-schooled in that. She, she knew how undeserving she was. She, was she, she didn't need anybody to tell her she's not worth it. She knew it. She's not worth this conversation. Why are you talking to me? No matter how much Jesus tried to explain to her, she couldn't understand. You're talking to me. You're a Jew now. I have no business with you. Go and talk to other Jews. Go and talk to people that you should be talking to. All her preconceived notions, ideas about what it meant to be a Samaritan. And of course, our experiences corroborated it. That's why they were even produced in the first place. The experiences produced that wrong and faulty thinking pattern and ideology. Because that's how they've been treated. Jews, see, a Jew will see a shorter route, which is Samaria. They will go through the high sea. I read it yesterday. They will go through the high sea just to avoid being connected to anything Samaria. This is why the Bible says he must needs go through Samaria. He must need. Because there were other paths that he could have passed that normal Jews will pass. A Jew will not pass through that path. But the Bible says he must needs. God forced him to, to pass through Samaria because of this woman. Just to have that conversation. So we see what produced five husbands. Thoughts and imaginations that had exalted themselves against the knowledge of God. What are the things God is telling you but your experiences will not allow those things to settle? God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. God said, I have, I have engraved your name on the palm of my hands. God says you are the apple of my eyes. God says all these things. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. But you don't believe it. Because everybody in your family had to do something ridiculous to attract the attention of a man. And so you also have to start doing dressing in a funny way just to attract someone. Because that is what your experience predicts. All men has come. All men just, this is what they want. So let's give it to them. And to submit yourself to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in the word of God, you will not allow it. And so the Bible says, Then said this woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You see, the, the arrangement of that statement tells you a lot. He didn't say the Samaritans have no dealings with the Jews. Because the autonomy is not with the Samaritans. The initiative is not with the Samaritans. The initiative is with the Jews. You are the one that decides whether you need me or not. And I have no choice than to just submit to your preference. The Jews are the ones that decide. We want to have something to do with you or we don't. You have no choice. Just, just you know, submit to their preference. It's not like the Samaritans have no dealings with the Jews. We, can, we, we can't decide. The Jews decide everything. We are just meaningless pawns in the scheme of things. You want to use us? Use us. You have no need of us? Throw us away. The Jews have... See, when you, when you do a solid 
dichotomy and exigencies on the life of this woman. Just in this conversation, you realize what produced five husbands. There was nobody that placed the curse on her. Our thoughts and our imaginations put a limitation on our expression. And so she said, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And then Jesus looked at her and said, Jesus said and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. He said, I'm not Jew, I'm not Gentile, I'm the gift of God. Both the Jews and the Gentiles need me. Both you and the Jew and the Samaritans, everybody combined. I'm the gift of God. I'm not a Jew. I'm the gift of God. Because guess what? Even the Jews rejected me too. So <laughs> you understand? They rejected me. So it's, <laughs> it's not only you. They rejected me too. So I'm not so much of a Jew. I am the gift of God. If you will receive the gift of God to you. God's word is the gift of God. Every time God's word comes, receive it as the gift of God to you. But people will hear God's word coming. And they will keep rejecting the gift of God and keep exalting their imaginations and thoughts against the knowledge of God. I am the gift of God. I'm neither Jew nor Gentile. I'm the gift of God. And if you will receive me, you will become exactly what I say. You will become exactly what I speak about in your life. I'm the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God. If you will not see me based on socioeconomic metrics, if you will not see me using your historical evidence to, to put me in a bracket and in a category, I look like a Jew, I look rich, I look poor. Can you stop looking at men after the flesh? Can you stop judging things by their appearance and receive things by discernment? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, you will, beyond just give me a drink, you will ask me to give you of the living water. You would ask of the real thing. Because this water is Jacobian. You will drink of this water tomorrow, you need another one. That's what happens on social media. You go for the influencer's idea of what marriage should look like. And you will test it. You see that it didn't work. It broke up after two years. So you are testy again. It's a Jacobian well. Full of ideologies of men. History, experiences. Nothing that superimposes on reality. Everything is just backdated to experience. This is what my friend experienced. So this is what you will experience too. No, I'm a law of exception. By myself, I'm a law. Something negative, a trend, and I show up. It changes. I'm a law of exception. It doesn't matter. If all men are getting cast down, I will say otherwise. And it's exactly what I say that will begin to happen. Because I'm a law of exception. Kai. If you knew the gift of God, and the one who says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you the living water. You see, but fear will diminish your mental capacity to be incapable of receiving revelation. Because you must be committed to the carnal space to be fearful. And you see, God will not visit or reference your history to give you something that is about your, that is about your future. He won't reference your history to predetermine your future. Your future is there as far as it's concerned. He has already seen it. So he's telling you from that future what you are. But you keep going to your history and say, I can't, I can't, I've not, I've not. And it's like, how do I get you into this? You've got to believe what you've never seen before. You've got to believe the invisible realm. So, so fear operates by limiting your scope of reasoning and interpretation to the carnal realm. Everything Jesus tried to tell her here, she couldn't really relate with it. She couldn't. 
Bible said, the woman said unto him, Sir, you don't have anything to draw. He's always talking about your Jacobian wells. He says, you don't have anything to draw with. And the well is deep. From whence then as thou didst living water? They can't understand spiritual things. One of the biggest things that the Holy Ghost will do in your life is to help you understand scripture. It is the biggest assignment of the Holy Ghost in your life. If he can get you to understand scripture, his assignment is right, he's done. If he can just get you to understand revelation, what you've never experienced in your past, in your history, if he can get you to believe it and begin to align your life with it, he has done his good job. This woman could not relate with living water. What are you talking about? What was living water? You know, he said, Are thou greater than our father, Jacob? Hmm. And that's the question your thoughts and your imaginations ask every single time God's word is introduced. Are you greater than my experience for the last 20 years? How can you say, I won't experience trouble in my marriage? I, 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 are, you, are you greater than all the marriages that I've ever experienced in my life combined? Are you, are you greater than our father, Jacob? Are you greater than history? This is revelation. Forever, oh God, your word is settled. Forever. Everything must submit to the word. Everything. If you would allow the word of God to settle everything in your life, you'll be fine. I'm telling you the truth. It's the stronger hold. It must bring into captivity every thought and imaginations. It must bring them into captivity. And every time God's word comes, most likely what you're doing is that you're asking the word, are you greater than my experience? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Jacob is flawed. His sons are flawed. His wells can dry up. When there is no sun, his wells will dry up. When there is rainy season, then his wells will... What kind of inconsistent, YOLO type of well is that? That's what you get when you reference history, experiences, and social media in determining your own course of actions and your destiny. When you are visiting Jacobian wells for sustenance. He says, the woman said unto him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? which gave us this well and drank thereof of himself and his children and his cattle. This was the experience. This woman meditated so much in historical realities that she couldn't see any other reality apart from it. And those things now began to form the limitations of her life. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. That's a guarantee. This is not the living water. It will really not satisfy you have noticed that all your escapades in the world, they didn't satisfy you. You've noticed that that boyfriend you've been trying to please with your body, he didn't satisfy you. You couldn't satisfy him. He couldn't satisfy you. None of you were satisfied. You've had to break up at the end of the day. See, these wells don't satisfy. These wells don't satisfy. But Jesus said, but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, he said he shall never thirst. He says, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water. Oh, I need us to rejoice right now. Rejoice by revelation. <laughs> rejoice by revelation. He says, the water that I will give him is not something he has to be coming to. He will carry it in him as a well. In that moment, the king asked Nehemiah, what should I do for you? He stirred up the waters in his rivers. He stirred up the water. He said, ah, and he spoke to the king. He said, I need this, I need this, I need that. And the king answered all his requests. Because that well, you don't go to receive it. It is right inside of your spirit, man. You can stir it up. 
He says, in that moment, in that hour, I will give you a wisdom and a mouth that none of your adversaries will be able to gain, say, or resist. It's the rivers of living water. The rivers that is inside, inside here. I don't need to go to any physical well to look for a water that will dry up. It is rivers of living water. If I need it, I just stir it. If I need it, I just stir it up. He says, the water that I will give unto you shall be in you a well. But it's not designed to stay a well. It's supposed to spring up into everlasting life. That's what happens when you stir it up. When you stir up that well, it becomes a spring of life. It becomes a spring of life. And then this woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water, so that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She reduced it back to experience. So that, because she assumed that this water is a physical water, that, you know, so that she would not have to come back. She, she couldn't relate with revelation. When your life is dominated by fear, you can't receive anything God is telling to you. Because you are so dominated by fear, everything has to be visible to your senses. Can you raise your gaze above the realities of survival? Can you raise your gaze to a place where God can speak to you at his level? God is spirit. God is not man. He will speak in spirit. His language is spirit. His language is not flesh and blood. His language is spirit. But if you will receive... At the level of spirit. Oh, how you will dominate your world. How? How you will dominate your world and your experiences. Hey, this woman said, oh, give me, give me. So that I will not be fetching here and be stressing myself. You will still need to drink normal water. Jesus still needed water. They went to get him water and meat. He will still need. But he was just using all of these examples to express something deeper. So, she didn't get it. So, he now went prophetic. She didn't get it at the level of explaining revelation to him, to her. So she, he had to now go prophetic. Because, listen to this. There are some people that God will never be able to get their attention until he gets prophetic. And to get prophetic does not mean he's complimenting your spiritual maturity. He's just coming down to your level. <laughs> ah! Pastor. So... The simplicity of receiving revelation in your Bible study time is more powerful than 10,000 men of God prophesying about the amount of money in your pocket. All the things is more powerful. But because many of us are dull of hearing, we are not able to receive of him. He has to manipulate the environment. He has to call somebody from somewhere who is a prophet to tell you the amount. In, don't you know the amount in your pocket? Why, do, why does the prophet need to tell you the amount in your pocket? So that you can believe the word of God. He has, to, he has to do something fascinating. He has to do a sleight of hands just to get your attention. Imagine I'm traveling next week. Then my wife goes to get bread in the junction. And then the woman that is selling bread to my wife tells my wife and says, Ah, your husband is traveling next week. Oh, say, oh really? Ah, 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 okay, that's fine. Thank you so much for telling me. Is that, is that how she will react? Why would it be a woman on the street that is telling my wife when I'm traveling? So when a prophet has to tell you something that you ought to know, but you do not know because you're so far. It's not a compliment to you. It's a testament of how far you are to him. So it, the prophet tells you something and for the first time you're just hearing about that. Yeah, wow, wow, ah, I, am, I, have, I have glory. I am ha blessed. The word of God already tells you that. Every prophetic word from an external source must be validatory. It must be a validation. Not for the first time you're introduced to that truth. This woman could not receive. She was so carnally minded. God had to become so prophetic and theatrical. 
He said, how do I help this woman now? Because if she had said, oh, glory to God, I'm ready to receive this living water, that would have been the end of this conversation. Telling you. So Jesus said, ah, this woman is still thinking I'm talking about physical water. I'm talking about life, life eternal, everlasting life. The life that gives strength to every mortal body. The life that changes people's lives from inside out. The life that I cannot really explain in carnal terms. The life that I cannot describe with graphics. The life that is supernatural. It's a life of God. How do I, how do I conceptualize this life and try to package it in a way that she can receive it? Uh, let me do something that would excite her now. Ah, go and get me a husband. He said, ah, I don't have a husband. I've had five. Okay, yes, yes. Yes, that's true. He said, I don't have a husband. Then, then Jesus now said, well, you've had five actually. And the one that you're with right now is not your husband. He said, Man of God. Man, man of God. How did he know that? He must be a prophet. That, that, that's the level she's in. Spiritual growth is simple. It's not theatrical. Amen. <laughs> oh, Lord. Ah, Jesus said unto her, because you notice, Jesus didn't go back to the living world because there was no point. She couldn't catch it. So he had to come down to the level of sense, the sensual realm. And he said, yeah, go and get me your husband. Yeah, go and call your husband for me. Both of you should come. And the woman answered, I don't have a husband though. Then Jesus said to her, yes, you have said right. You have, had no, you have no husband. You have had five actually. All right, you've had five. And the one you are with right now is the sixth one, but he's not yet your husband. So, yes, you're saying the truth. <laughs> so Jesus was validating, saying, yeah, you're saying the truth. And then 19, the woman said unto him, ah, ah, prophet. <laughs> I perceive this was not the first strategy that Jesus attempted. He just wanted to explain to her the word of God. That there is a life that is inside me that is superior to the life that is inside this water that you are drawing every day. There is a life that sustains life. There is a life that, oh God, there is a life that sustains life that I carry. And I can give it to you. That everywhere you go, you'll be light. You'll shine. You'll be able to solve people's problems. You'll be the light of the world. I'm the light that lights every man that comes into the world. That is who I am. Are you ready to receive? She had just said, yes, I'm ready to receive. That's, the, that's it. But she said, eh, okay, give me that water so that I will not come back to this place and be fetching water again. <sighs> what can I use again? Oh, yeah, I can bring your husband. And then she says, oh, I don't have your husband. She says, yeah, 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 that's true. And then he got into prophetic. And he began to say, you've had five husbands and the one that you're now with right now is not your husband. And in that you have said truly. And the man said unto him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers. <sighs> You know how many times she referenced Jacob, his sons, his wells? Jacob again, then our fathers. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And then you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Why is she even asking this question? <laughs> why, why is she, what, what has this question got to do with what Jesus had said? And then Jesus said unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. 
Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews, and that's true. But the hour comes when, and now is the time, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is spirit. Say that with me. God is spirit. Say it again. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Say it again. God is spirit. So that means you cannot receive from God until you elevate your life to a spiritual dimension. God is spirit. God is not a man. God is spirit. And what he deals in is spirit. When God is telling you about your life, he's talking spirit. But if you reduce the intensity of what he's saying to carnal realities and your history and your experiences, you will lose out on what God is saying. It happened to Joseph, it happened to Moses, it happened to David, it happened to every one of them. Especially Moses, especially Jeremiah. God will be speaking spirit and they will say, ah, me, I cannot, I have not. And then fear will cripple them from believing and receiving the good word of the Lord. Bible says God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Hmm. The bane of this passage really is the fact that patterns are not produced by curses. And if you've not listened to the airborne thinking, go listen to it again. Airborne thinking from the Prevailing Blessing series, it will really align with things I've shared here. It's a very simple charge this morning. There is a stronger hold called the Word of God. That's God's gift to you. Every stronghold, as strong as they are, they are bound to submit to the stronger hold of God's Word. Because you cannot spoil a strong man of his own goods without binding the strong man. So the thoughts and the imaginations will keep you bound until you bind them. This is why the weapons of our warfare, which are not carnal, they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And how he pulls them down is by casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So the next time your teacher tells you you are a dullard, they told me. I went to the class one of these days, on one of those days as a primary school student, and I remember her name, but I will use that to cover her shame. <laughs> if you understand that. All right? And she looked at me and she said, you have ice block brain. They're laughing at your pastor. <laughs> but that's what she said. She said, you have ice block brain. Your brain is subject to urolization. You know urolization? You know what urolization means? You don't know what urolization means? Urolization is a process that converts ice to water. <laughs> so she said, I have ice block brain. So... I'm less smart tomorrow than I was today. And I'm already not smart today. <laughs> so the, the, the capacity of my brain to produce sound judgment reduces with time. <laughs> In that one statement. <laughs> so she said that. She said, how, how are you? He said, go and ask your mom who your father is. No, no joking. 
I'm not joking. I went to ask my mom. Because my brothers had gone through the same school. And they were smart. They, one was the head boy. The other one was the science prefect. And here was I. Primary four, primary five, nothing. So there was a guy. His name is Filipoti. So that one is a good boy. I used to copy him from like, I mean. So the guy now entered secondary school on time. He, he left me. He left in primary five or something. So that was when all the Ashiri, <laughs> I was when the blew up. And it's not that this guy, you don't know nothing. <laughs> he said, you have an ice block brain. She said, nothing can come out of your life. She said those things. So she will come to class. She was my math teacher. And she will say 49 times 215. And she'll call me. <laughs> Tell me the answer. And of course, I don't know it. I've never finished with 2005. You're telling me 49. So she would just be beating me. And, she, and I was, you know, thank God I didn't take it to heart so much. But I mean, of course, that thing can destroy life. Literally. Destroy. That's what the devil does. Just project things. Before I left that school, I was the best graduate in one year. Best graduating student in primary school, my mom was so embarrassed on the prize giving day. You know, I was so playful and very naughty that, you know, when on the day that we were collecting prize, my, my armpit had torn. So, this was how I was collecting the gifts. And, you know, my, babe, hope I'm not embarrassing you. <laughs> but now I'm telling you the truth. My mom, she came like four, five, six, seven times to collect the, I mean, you know, to stand with me and all of that. She was so embarrassed with the gift. This was the guy that a woman said could not amount to anything. You know, it was as though the tap of my brain was trickling. And then in primary six, a gosh, I was just let loose. I was a deputy head boy. I, was, I had the highest common entrance score. It was amazing what happened in one year. I don't even know how, I think it was just my mom just encouraging me and all of that. Because I can't credit it to maybe how sound I was in God's word. But I'm just telling you how words that are ill-spoken can be carried to the, the corners of a man's heart and cripple that man for the rest of his life. And if I had believed that and I carried that energy into secondary school, nothing good would have come out of my life. Not because God didn't plan that something good would come out, but because I tied myself to a thought and an imagination that the devil had shot into my heart. That is how he shoots. He shoots the arrows with words, ill-spoken by some men who are ill-advised. And they will just say things carelessly and you will believe it and you will trap it into the soul and the soil of your heart. And you will plant it there. And those things will start growing roots deep into your heart. And once they've grown so much root, they'll start producing patterns, negative patterns that looks like it was a curse. It was a thought that was planted through the words of a man. It was planted. You, you allowed it accommodation. You gave it room. You meditated on it. You, you allowed it to have so much dominion. Now it has crippled your movement and your advancement in life and has started predicting your outcomes with repeated patterns. Most likely next week, we'll go, we'll go to how to undo and untangle these strongholds. Because remember, they, they were woven around you. It's not one thing, it's not a strand. Imagine a very huge oak tree with a fibrous root that spans meters and perhaps kilometers. How do you uproot such a tree? The webs have gone into every area. 
every area. And I've now started creating patterns. They've started creating patterns. What this woman was, was the herald of Philip. This was the woman God used to break the fallow ground in Samaria. Don't you wonder how easy it was for Philip? Philip entered Samaria and overnight there was joy in the entire city. This woman had done the work of an evangelist. This was a prophetic destiny. Yet she was going from man to man. Limited her entire experiences to just marriages and men. There comes a man who told me all I've ever done. All she ever did was marry and divorce. Marry, divorce, marry, marry again, then divorce, marry and divorce. Then stay with a man that he hopes to marry, hopefully, and eventually divorce. That was what her entire life was going to be reduced to. The devil always desires to sift every believer's wit. That means that everything in your life wants to reduce you to chaff. All the valuable things that God has destined for you to achieve, he wants to sift everything away. And the rest of the things that men can see will just be chaff. That if you just do, it's gone. That's what the devil wants to reduce every believer's life to. This is, a, an, evan this is an evangelist. That was a prophetic destiny. In one conversation, she brought out all the men of Samaria. A prophetic destiny was to be an evangelist. And to break the fallow ground of the hearts of men in Samaria. So that... When Philip arrives, he won't have to do so much work. By just preaching the gospel, supernatural outbreak here and there. And then, boy, joy fills that sea. Because this woman had done a very solid work. <laughs> that was her prophetic destiny. But she had never been an evangelist before. If you do not receive God's word to you by revelation, everything God has seen about your life, you will never become it. And it will be fear that will cripple you and create boundaries to your expression. Because you'll be too afraid to believe God's word. Based on your experiences. All I've done is marry and remarry. What is this about evangelizing to my people? What is it about delivering Samaria from the bondage of hell? What is this about going to tell people about Jesus? What is this about preaching the gospel? All I know is to fail. All I know is to break up. All I know is to be served breakfast. That's all I eat every day, even at night. I eat breakfast all day long. That's my occupation. And then you're suddenly telling me, my ministry is to be a blessing to a city. Who, who, who are you talking about? You see, when God speaks to you, he's not speaking to you with reference to how you have lived. He's speaking with reference to what he wants you to become. Because in his heart, he has seen you, re he has seen you live out that reality already. He's not visiting your history to, to now tell you, okay, I know you've done this. The things you will do in the, in the future may not be connected in any way to the things you have done either too. I'm telling you. Stop limiting yourself based on your history. And when frameworks try to judge your personality, be careful how you allow those things stamp an identity on you. God might tell you to do what you have never in your life attempted. And that is your destiny. But if you are so Jacobian in your thinking, you keep referencing your father. Keep referencing the wells of Jacob. Keep referencing the sons of Jacob. Keep referencing your father and where they worshipped. You just keep talking about history. And God is like, I want to step you into your destiny. You have never done this before, but you've got to believe it. Believe the word of God. Let the word of God superimpose and swallow those thoughts and imaginations that have been exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. There is something God knows about you that you don't know yet. And when he's telling you, you are not likely to believe it immediately. 
That's why you need to pray in the Holy Ghost, study your Bible, so that your heart can be nimble to receive God's word and believe it. Because see, listen, you, you can't blame these guys. Those, those men of Israel, that's all their life. They lived as slaves for 400 years. That's all they know. Freedom was, they were, they, they were not compatible with being free. Somebody has to wipe them in the back. Do your work. Somebody had to remove the straw from their bricks. Somebody had to just make life difficult for them. And for the first time, somebody was providing all their needs. They couldn't receive it. They couldn't receive it. Take us back to Egypt. We prefer the bondage. We prefer the cucumbers and the onions. It's better to die in Egypt and be, and be buried in a sepulcher than to die as slaves in the wilderness. Ah! And as much as God wanted to convince them, he couldn't. Moses wanted to convince them he couldn't. The angel of the Lord's presence tried all his best to do all the miracles he could. He could muster just to get them to believe. He couldn't get them to believe. Because your thoughts and your imaginations are a very strong stronghold. Hmm? But the word of God is a stronger hold. It's a stronger hold. The word of God is quick and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. It's a desire of thoughts. And intent of the heart. It can judge your thoughts. This one is not in alignment. Dispose of it. Trash these thoughts. Stop thinking of yourself as a little boy. You don't have a nice blood brain. Come on. Let me show you the destiny I have for you. Ah! This is what God's word can do. It can change your life forever. If you will just stop visiting the sepulchers. And stop visiting the grave. Stop visiting Jacob's wells. And history and experiences and your examples in the past. I know of a lady who had all her sisters and aunties. None of them was in a good marriage. None of them. None. Pretty girl. Solid lady. I was privileged to mentor her at some point. And in about three to four years, she had about five boyfriends. It's not a curse. It's a thought and a pattern. I'm telling you. If you can just tweak the seat of power and enthrone God's word instead of a thought and an imagination, your life will take a new turn. It's a guarantee. God's word can change your life. I promise you. Take the study of God's word very seriously. Fear has limited you too long. Don't allow it any further. Don't allow it any further. The advantage of the devil is your ignorance. Your knowledge is his disadvantage. Get into God's word. And your life will never remain the same again in Jesus' name. Let's say that confession with me again. Say, this is my Bible. Say, this is God's word to me. Say, my Bible is my compass. What's the second thing? Say, my Bible is my manual. Yeah, say, my Bible is my manual. Say, my Bible is my ideology. Say, I follow my Bible. I speak my Bible. I behave my Bible. I honor my Bible. Until I become one with my Bible. Can we say it again with some gusto? Let's rise on our feet right now and say it with power. Say, this is my Bible. This is God's word to me. My Bible is my compass. My, com my Bible is my manual. My, my Bible is my ideology. I follow my Bible. I speak my Bible. I behave my Bible. I honor my Bible until I become one with my Bible. Can we rejoice in this house right now? And beyond rejoice, beyond rejoice, I'd like us to pray in the Holy Ghost just to receive this word. See, 
God will say some things to you that will, it will break the limitations of the bondage that your pre-existing thoughts and imaginations have held over the years. He will say some words to you this, this week. But if you don't pray right now to receive this word I have received right now, huh? it, it will be difficult to relate with God at the frequency of that word. You will keep referencing Jacob and his wells and your fathers and the mountains that they worshipped in. Stop worshipping on the mountain that your fathers worshipped in. Everywhere you are now, you can carry the rivers of living water. Anywhere you go, you can worship in spirit and in truth. That is wherever every time you relate to the truth of God's word, it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. Amen. Listen to this. Listen to this. Nothing pleases God like you fulfilling his agenda for your life. Nothing. And the only way that is possible is if you receive his word to you. Which is an act of faith. For without faith it is impossible to please God. He that comes to the Father must believe that he is and is a reward of them that diligently seek him. John 6, 63. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. How you worship God is to receive God's word to you. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If you are unable to receive God's word to you, you are unable to worship him. That means you won't be able to submit your members as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship, remember? And so if you have not received God's word and received capacity to believe it so that you can do the word, you can't possibly worship. So every time the devil is raising the ugly heads of experiences and imaginations and thoughts that are not in subjection to the word of God, he's trying to help you violate God. He's trying to help you rebel against God. I only worship one God. And this God has exalted his word above all his name. And I worship him in spirit and in truth. So as much as I'm in alignment with his truth, I am in worship. When I live out the purpose of God for my life, I am worshiping. Every time I allow lies, stop me from worshiping. You see, I have just allowed the devil take part of the worship that ought to go in God's direction. Don't allow it. God's word is, is, your, is your pathway to worship. It's your pathway to worship. When you make a car and the car is acting exactly how you ordained it, it has worshipped you. Imagine you now create a car that can run at 310 kilometers per hour. And then the car believes that it can only run for 10 kilometers per hour. That, that is the nature of lives that God ordained to be so much more. And then they say they want to die in the wilderness. They refuse to worship him. Because they refuse to receive the spiritual element of his perception about them. Which is captured in truth. They couldn't receive it. They say, oh, we only have 10 kilometers on us. We can't do more than 10 kilometers per hour. And they were ordained for 310. Far much more. But then they believe the lie of the devil. You need to pray again. That Lord, anything that stands in my way of believing your word. I break it down right now. I pull it down. I destroy it. I take captive of it. I take captive of it. I bind my oppressor. I bind the stronghold. I bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I break every negative pattern produced by exalted imaginations and thoughts over the years. I break every negative pattern. It has been happening in my family. If you skip me, 
I'm not part of the number. I'm not part of the statistic. In the name of Jesus, I receive God's word to me. I receive God's word to me. And if that word is that I will do something that I've never done in my life, I'm willing, I'm open, I'm adaptable. I'm amenable to the will of God. Can you pray some more this morning? 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 Hey! How to worship is to believe God's word and act on that word and live a life that is in consecration to that word. That is what it means to, to worship God. Father, we give you praise. And we give you glory. For in Jesus' precious name we've prayed. Once again, can we rejoice? Revelationally, revelationally. Understanding that we have received a life-transforming word. A life-transforming word has come in your direction. A life-transforming word. A life-transforming word. In Jesus' name. There's someone here. The Lord says to tell you that, and he will repeat it again to you. The Lord says to tell you that he will take you to all the continents of this world. Amen. All of them. For a specific, specific purpose. He will take you to all the continents of this world. And everything will happen in five years. All the continents in five years. I don't know who you are, but the Lord will say to you again. But you stand a risk of not believing it because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. He will tell you the purpose and he will tell you exactly what I just said. I won't be the one to tell you the purpose, but he will tell you the reason why he will take you. It's not just for your LinkedIn or your IG, no. There is a reason why he's going to take you to all the continents of the world. In, five, in a space of five years, you will touch down on every, <laughs> every continent of the world. And you see, God's word is not your history. God's word is revelation. And you need faith to believe it. You need faith to believe it. Father, we give you praise. Thank you, Father, for utterance this morning. We ask that everyone is establishing this truth and no righteousness in Jesus' preciousness. Let's jam our hands together for Jesus. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.